Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Syracuse Athletics never slows down both on and off the court, field, whatever term you want to use, and we're here to break it all down. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fizz 5. Your favorite duo is back with Ethan Frank. I'm Liam Griffin. Ethan, did you survive the snowstorm this past weekend? I did. Uh, I'm down in Connecticut at home, and it did snow this weekend in Connecticut. Not as much as I heard as it snowed up in uh, in central New York. We probably got two to three inches or, sh- or so. Uh, and there is still snow on the ground, but it it is rapidly melting, as I believe. Let me if I if I check my weather app here, I believe it's going to be uh, the high is in the fifties today and tomorrow. So I think it's going to be <laughs> melting rather shortly. I, I believe it will be melting rather shortly as well. Snowy up here, but the action never stops for SU football, especially on the recruiting trail. That's topic number one. Number one. Marcellus Barnes, a four-star quarterback per 24-7 sports composite ranking, picks SU, adding to a long list of recruiting victories for Fran Brown, 24-7 sports national recruiting analyst Cooper Patagna describes him as a player that, quote, demonstrates good short area quickness and change of direction ability at the corner position, shows the ability to plant and drive out of his back pedal, possesses some slight stiff, some slight hip stiffness, has a tendency to play high at times in man-to-man coverage, but displays good play and recovery speed, showing the ability to play the deep part of the field. Ethan, the defensive back victories just keep piling in. Deuce Chestnut a few weeks ago, and now Marcellus Barnes. Yeah, I mean, you look at Marcellus Barnes, and according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, this is now the second highest rated recruit in this 2024 class for, for Fran Brown. And per the composite, if you combine high school rankings with transfer rankings, the 40th overall class uh, in the country. Dino Babers never had a class higher than 50th. Um, So that just goes to show what recruiting has been like this year. An interesting thing on the 24-7 Sports website, list Marcellus Barnes at 5'11.5". I think anybody that's 5'11.5 would say they're six feet tall. Um, So so we could, like... He has good size. Uh, he probably needs to get in the weight room a little bit, only listed at, at 165. So probably needs needs to put some muscle on. But I don't see this. I see this as a guy who could potentially come in and play right away um, in, in areas for Syracuse. Because if you think about the cornerback position, Isaiah Johnson was a senior and he got burned a lot of times last year. Jeremiah Wilson, was a, uh, he transferred. You got Jaden Bellamy and Jaden Gould still. But... I mean, you're a little thin in in the cornerback room. You brought in it's players in the secondary, like like Deuce Chestnut, come bringing him back. Devin Grant, the safety from Buffalo. Um, Justin Barron returning helps, but he's really more of a box safety and and is kind of a linebacker. Um, but uh, th- this is a a huge huge help for Syracuse getting a guy like Marcellus Barnes, who if he puts on a little bit of weight this spring, I don't see why he can't contribute as a true freshman. And when you dive further into 24-7 sports profile on him and look at some of the schools that were going after Barnes, in addition to Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Baylor, Michigan State, Minnesota, Wake Forest, and I haven't even gotten to the best two yet, Florida State and Georgia. I know it's been a big recurring theme over the last few weeks, Syracuse being in the thick of the competition for players with offers from the high majors of the high major schools, Ethan, when you think about a guy like King Joseph Edwards, he was getting recruited by Georgia and Colorado. 
picked SU. Kyle McCord coming over from Ohio State. And now you have Barnes picking SU over the two teams that were immediately on the outside looking in of this year's college football playoff. Yeah, and that, like, you know who 24-7 sports lists Marcellus Barnes' primary recruiter as? Patrick Sertan Sr. That would be the father of one of the best cornerbacks in the entire NFL. Imagine getting to learn from that guy whose son is probably an all-pro um, at the highest level of football. So for him to choose Syracuse over a place like Florida State, and then, I mean, maybe even more significant is he was committed to Virginia Tech and decommitted. You think about Syracuse's game against Virginia Tech this year, it was clear what that program is building, and that is a, a program on the rise um, under Brent Pry. And if if Syracuse can start to beat out schools like Virginia Tech, that is really a direct competitor in the conference and in standing in terms of what the college football landscape is like, then that is a really, really good sign for the orange. Ethan, I want to circle back to what you brought up a moment ago in terms of SU's recruiting rankings now sitting at number 40 in the composite. It's very easy to forget that at this time a year ago, we were sitting here lamenting the fact that Syracuse was dead last among power five schools dead last in recruiting there were multiple group of five schools that were well ahead of Syracuse. It just it just goes to show how much times have changed, right? At this time a year ago, SU would not have even been remotely in the conversation for a player like Marcellus Barnes Jr. at all. But getting a guy like this, who, like you said, Ethan, now number two overall among this recruiting class, it's an absolute game changer. This is a team that is sixth over sixth in the conference. Uh, and this is a conference now that includes 17 schools. So for Syracuse, this is this is a massive win. The only five teams ahead of the Orange are Miami, Florida State, Clemson, NC State, and North Carolina. I mean, they're they're just barely in terms of points ahead uh, in terms of the uh, points ahead of Louisville. Who who what? I mean, if Florida State doesn't get left out of the playoff, that's a Louisville team that's in the Orange Bowl. Yep. But like, this is a really really impressive recruiting class. You got, I mean, it's only thirty commits. But compared to a school like Louisville, which has 39 players coming in, six four stars, uh, a lot, a lot to like here. And Ethan, all this has been done over a month plus. Who knows what it's going to look like come 2025 when Fran Brown has more of an entire year to build a relationship with these recruits and convince them to come to Syracuse. The fact that this has been done so quickly at the snap of a finger just speaks volumes about the immediate impact he is making and what it, what it could look like long-term. Yeah, there's just so much potential here. There is, I mean, Syracuse basketball is playing at, at North Carolina this weekend. The ceiling is the roof right now for Syracuse. Um, and if, you know, the dome roof is, is too small of a ceiling, then they'll just break right through it and and keep on moving. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in Fran Brown right now. I will say, in you know, I would like to see him coach a football game. Um, I am a little, I'm a little dubious of, of this staff's ability to call plays and scheme and game manage and decision make. Uh, but, but we'll see what happens uh, come September. Well, Ethan partially alluded to it. Syracuse men's basketball takes on North Carolina on Saturday, but there's also a game at the dome against Boston college on Wednesday night. We'll preview those two games in topic number two, number two. 9 p.m. tip from the JMA Wireless Dome on Wednesday. A noon tip from the Dean Dome on Saturday. Two big games for Syracuse, first of which is against the Boston College team. This is not your father's Boston College team, Ethan. The Eagles 
in the past, I don't want to necessarily call them a shoe-in victory, but they've been a team that the Orange have absolutely owned over the last few years. And then you have to go face a top-10 Carolina team on the road in a hostile environment, students coming back from break. This has the makings of the start of a rather important stretch for SU because immediately after you play the Tar Heels, you've got to go play Pitt on the road, and then you've got Miami at home. Yeah, these first, I, I believe I said, I don't remember where, these first six ACC games, Pitt, uh, Duke, BC, UNC, Pitt again, and then Miami, you needed to go three and three. Um, and if you went three and three, that means you did something right. And Syracuse is one and one right now. And this is a really important week. You would expect uh, a split this week. Uh, I, I am not very confident in Syracuse's ability to go win at North Carolina, especially after what we saw against Duke. Um, this is a really, really well-coached, experienced North Carolina team with a lot of upperclassmen, and it's a really nice mix of experience and of youth. Um, and this, it's a team playing at a really high level, just got a big ACC road win at Clemson last weekend. And then Boston College, this is just a game you have to win. This is Syracuse team that did a really good job of avoiding bad losses in the non-conference. That has to continue. And I know Boston College isn't bad, um, and it wouldn't be a, a terrible loss but this is a game you should win it's a team you usually beat at, at least at home um and Syracuse is a really good home team haven't lost uh there this year yet so so we'll see what happens you bring up an interesting point talking about the way Carolina has built its roster because the way I see it, it is a perfect em emblem of what college basketball teams look like in the year 2024 you have a mix of recruiting from high school with guys like Elliot Cadeau who got who was offered the Weitzman money not too long ago He's a stud in Chapel Hill now. And then you have got you have homegrown guys that have developed over a few years, like Armando Baycott, RJ Davis, the leading scorer in the ACC. And then you have guys that have come in through the transfer portal, like Cormac Ryan from Notre Dame and Harrison Ingram from Stanford. It's a perfect mix of young players new to the program, homegrown talent that has developed through the program, then guys you have pulled in through the transfer portal. And that's what makes this such a tough matchup. And really, Ethan, what makes North Carolina – a championship contender in my eyes. But going back to Boston College, I mean, when you look at who BC's best player is, Quentin Post, he's a player that has the ability to, to expose the orangish flaw, at least at the start of the game, and that's perimeter defense from your big man. Yeah, uh, I would – This, I mean, it feels like every game at this point is not an Ahima Cloud game, but that kind of feels like what's about to happen again, uh, especially against North Carolina. I want to go back to, to talking about this, this Heels team. Hubert Davis is this is what his third season as head coach. It's yep. so fascinating. They they underperform with the talent they have in 2022 and then get hot at the right time and make the national title game as an eight seed, beat Duke in the final four, some big upsets along the way. Uh, I believe including a number one seed Baylor. And then last year is is a kind of, like there were questions about Hubert Davis's job last year. Like, like could could he do this? Um, uh, is he the right guy to replace Roy Williams? Caleb Love transfers, uh, who had been North Carolina's you know best player, and then they're back this year. He's completely retooled the roster. He's back rocking Roy Williams style Blazers and Dean Smith style Blazers on the sidelines. And the whole mood around North Carolina has changed. They're back to being a top 10 team. It's, as you mentioned, just a modern way of building a basketball team in terms of you recruit guys and they develop through the program over a handful of years. You have your new high school recruits and then you supplement th through the transfer portal. And he's done a really, really good job of that this year. The mojo with this team is really good. And Syracuse 
is going to face him twice over the span of a month, once at home and, and once on the road. And it'll be a really, really interesting test for the Orange. It really will be an interesting test, especially when you factor in the Boston College game right before it. So, Ethan, before we move on, I'd like to pose you the question, can I get a prediction for these two games? I'll let you go first. Then I will give mine. I promise. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they'll go one and one. Uh, I would be disappointed if they didn't go one and one. I'd be pretty shocked if it was lost to Boston College, win at North Carolina. I think the I think the uh, the the common knowledge will be Syracuse will beat Boston College at home and then lose to North Carolina on the road. And and I I I, I that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think you'll see a five to eight point victory against BC. I mean, again, not not the BC team of your the Eagles. Not not saying they're NCAA tournament caliber this year, but the mojo around Chestnut Hill, and I do have sources in Chestnut Hill being from that area, is that they will start to be on the up and up in the next few years. And then Carolina, if you keep it competitive for 40 minutes, I'll be satisfied. It's something SU did not do against Duke. It's something SU did not do against Honestly, Virginia. I mean, so, so I think 40 minutes is a stretch. Honestly, I think I'd be satisfied if they kept it competitive for 30 minutes. Okay. So because right, okay, they were define, what com- define competitive though. Define competitive though. I think if it's within a a, a single digit game with ten minutes to go, that's an accomplishment. Considering yeah. what they didn't even make it to halftime against Virginia, and then the Duke Duke they lasted what twenty five minutes. Yep, like yep. right out of halftime. So let's say keep on building it. Uh, I'd say if Syracuse is within single digits with ten minutes to go, then uh, I, you know you don't want moral victories. And Adrian Autry talks about not wanting moral victories, but for me, if Syracuse is within single digits with 10 minutes to go in the Dean Dome, I, I'm happy with that. And I think Adrian Autry is spot on in saying that. As, as a basketball coach, for your players, there's no such thing as a moral victories. For fans and media members like us, there is such a thing as a moral right, victory like from right. our perspective. Yes, like this Duke game, people's expectations change when you're only down by two points at yep. halftime. Yep. Coming into the game, Duke was a 15-point favorite, and rightfully so. Um, but then when you're only down two at halftime, your perception changes like, oh, we could win this game uh, if you're Syracuse. And then, you know, they end up losing by 20, which shouldn't be that unexpected. But it yep. is if, you know, if if you didn't watch the first half and you're like, oh, Duke won by 20. It's like, oh, yep, that makes sense. Yep. Yep. So big week ahead for SU. We'll have full coverage of both games at Orange Fizz on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. You can check out our website, theorangefizz.com for post-game recaps, post-game spaces, and a whole lot more. SUBC, 9 o'clock Wednesday. SU at UNC, noon on Saturday, ahead of a big day of NFL football, too. Topic number three, we'll flip over to the women's side. Number three. So coming off of last week, Ethan, not the best week for the Orange. With the, with the, with the number in front of their name for the first time in three years, you go on the road to Chapel Hill and get decimated by North Carolina, 75-51, not even a close game. Then Sunday, you beat Boston College, but I certainly would not call that a good win. It, final score was 71-64. Syracuse led by as many as 20, but really faltered down the stretch. And then, but this week almost feels like a, it feels like a get-right week because you go on the road to play a Wake Forest team that might be the worst in the ACC on the women's side. And then you play Clemson at home, not a top-tier ACC team either. Yeah. Uh, before we preview, I want to flip it back to you first because – you called this Boston College game. Why would you characterize it as a disappointment? I mean, because A, you were up by 20 and let the Eagles get to within five with just a few minutes remaining. And B, for as good as Sophie Burroughs was, and it was awesome to see her 
come out of her shell because she's had some rough offensive games lately. SU star players, and when I say star players, I mean the Asia Fair and Georgia Woolley, it didn't look like they were as confident as they usually are. Both of them had bad shooting games against North Carolina, and there were multiple instances where Woolley in particular was hanging her head, shrugging her shoulders after a careless pass or error. That was the vibe I got from that Boston College game on Sunday, Ethan. Well, it's good that they at least got a win, and I'll be in Winston-Salem for this weight game on Thursday. And doing my preparation on the Demon Deacons, they are bad. Like, capital B, bad. Just lost by 30 at an unranked Miami team. Only scored 47 points. Um, They're, I believe, last in the ACC in scoring and field goal percentage. This this is not a good basketball team. And after a year, you know, under now a second-year head coach, had a decent season last year and brought in a good recruiting class. And to take this massive step back this year, maybe, you know, it's, you know, you kind of need to bottom out before building back up. And last year was kind of a transition year where you happen to win 17 games this year. This team is not winning 17 games. This team might not win 10 games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wake Forest uh, lost its premier scorer, Jules Spear, the transfer portal stud point guard who has lit SU up in their games over the last two seasons, went to Tennessee and had, and Wake has done absolutely nothing to replace her ethan they're sitting at what four and eleven right now yeah That's awful oh and three yeah oh and three in the ecc that means um, four this is against non-conference foes yeah it was a really bad non-conference and i'm not sure where the wins are going to come from this one because the acc is what if not if if not one of the best the best conference in women's college be, basketball? i believe it to be the best in women's college basketball exactly so uh, i'm really concerned but on the syracuse side of things this is a huge get right week uh you mentioned it taking whatever momentum you can off that win against boston college getting two wins this week they were still receiving votes um even though they dropped out of the the ap poll this week if they can still if they can put together two wins and take some momentum into this back half of january where you have some big time games against a team like a virginia tech you got teams like louisville coming up a, a team that's that's usually pretty good you have another a rematch against the Notre, a ranked notre dame team that should beat a couple of weeks ago it's a big month for syracuse and felicia yeah. get jack the end of January into February is an absolutely brutal stretch. There's there's a three-game stretch I have circled on my calendar for this SU team. Notre Dame on the road, Virginia Tech at home with Liz Kitley, and then Louisville on the road. That is a brutal three-game stretch, Ethan. Yeah, not good. Not, not good. And Syracuse will need its best players to continue to play well. I mean, Deja Fair is what? Up to 17th on the NCAA all-time scoring list. I was reading, she, you know who she might pass soon? She's inching closer to 3,000. She's inching close. One, she's inching closer. She might pass Cheryl Miller. Like, Cheryl Miller is, like, considered, what, one of the the best women's yep. basketball players ever? Yep, yep. I the sister of Reggie Miller? Them. Yeah. I consider her to be among them. Exactly. So, th- that would be another major accomplishment for DeAsia Fair, and Syracuse is going to need her to continue to to play at a high level. Um, And then the rest of the team, it needs to back her up. You can't have, you know, games like Georgia Woolley had against Boston College. You need everyone to contribute against those high-caliber ACC teams. Ethan, another thing that Coach Jack said after the Boston College game that caught my attention was after the UNC game, she was beside herself that her team took 33s. Well, what did SU do against BC? Took 25 of them, and after the game, I asked FLJ, what was different today? You still took a bunch of threes, and she was like, 
I, I'm going to pull my players if they keep doing that. And she, she specifically alluded to a moment where Kennedy Perkins took a three and FLJ took her out because she took that three. You only have so many shooters on this team. I, I don't know who besides Fair, Wooly, and Burroughs when she's on. Yeah, it's a lot of the same problems with the men's team, yeah. which yeah. is uh, struggling to shoot, and, and that's one of Syracuse's weaknesses. Good thing the Orange are a good rebounding team. The only team, I believe, in the ACC to have two players in the top 10 uh, uh, in rebounds per game. So this is this is a unit that relies on its defense and its interior scoring to to score, not on its outside shooting. And I'll also say when it comes to interior scoring, getting Isabel Vergeau back sometime soon will certainly help. And SU spokesperson said she was inching closer to playing before the Boston College game. I don't know if she'll be reinserted into the starting lineup with how well Kyra Wood and Alyssa Latham have been playing recently. But with a difficult but not super difficult week after this one with Florida State at home, pit on the road next week before your three-game gauntlet, this two-game stretch represents a get-right stretch if there ever was such a thing. SU Women's Basketball visits Wake Forest at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesday, on Thursday, I should say. Then hosts Clemson at, I want to say, is it a noon game Sunday? I think it's 2 p.m. 2 early, p.m. At, early afternoon Sunday. Early afternoon Sunday. Big week for the Orange. And it could be a big season for Syracuse football with, frankly, how much of a joke its 2024 schedule is. And that's topic number four. Number four. SU football's schedule currently has Ohio at home, Holy Cross at home, UConn at a site to be determined. I've heard Park after we graduate, Ethan. To be determined. I've heard rumblings that it could be Notre Dame on the road. Wouldn't that be a lot of fun? But Again, a shame after we leave. But re- regardless of even if well, they play Notre Dame, they play Notre Dame on the road uh, in twenty five. Yeah, so you still need to fill that schedule, so, that twelve games somehow. But Ethan, nonetheless, when I look at the schedule, I don't see a ton of teams that immediately jump out and intimidate me. NC State on the road is going to be tough, but no Clemson, no Florida State. At least in your ACC slate, you're looking pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you- Right, you got, I mean, like, there's some, like, you play Miami and NC State, who are, are two teams that probably will be better than you. And then you'd like to think of yourself as comparable to Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, BC. Um, And, and you want to be, you know, think of yourselves as equal with those teams. So, like, if you if you do well in the non-conference, uh, and, and you once again, like this year, you go undefeated in the non-conference, I don't know if you could like this article here by Tyler on the orangefizz.com saying a, a, an appetite, like getting e- an easy win is Stanford and Cal. I understand they haven't been very good, um, but playing on the road on the West coast, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a lock to be, to be Cal. Um, and Stanford is still a historic program. So Justin call, Lipson. right. I, like I wouldn't call either of those, you know, locks. Neither would I. There is definitely a chance that with this schedule, Syracuse could win eight or more games, but I'm not ready to declare that until I see this coaching staff coach on the field. Yeah, on paper, you're thinking to yourself, hey, this is a very winnable schedule. I'm not saying they can win the ACC, but I'm also not saying they can't because 
And, and and don't get me wrong, this is not a declaration that Syracuse is going to win the ACC championship because, like you said, Ethan, we won't know until we see it on the field. On paper, you look great, both in terms of your roster and in terms of the schedule you have in front of you. You're thinking to yourself, oh, this is a great opportunity to stack on some early season wins. Because, Ethan, like you mentioned, if you want to talk about going undefeated in the non-conference slate, well, you'd be hard-pressed to find an easier slate of three opponents than Ohio, Holy Cross, and UConn, if you have at minimum two FBS opponents in that stretch, that's not a slate that is going to intimidate anybody. So no. who, the fourth, who the fourth opponent is will be interesting to see. We heard rumors that it might be the Kansas Jayhawks. Those talks fell through. It was originally supposed to be Army, but with their move to the American Athletic Conference within the last few weeks, the Black Knights have had to make change, having been an independent for so many years. It's really... I'm very curious to see whether or not this proves to be the easy schedule we intend, we think of as, as it could be, or if it's actually more difficult. Like, cause like you mentioned, Ethan, playing two West coast teams is going to be no easy task. Like you mentioned, Miami's has, is not what it was, but it's still no easy victory. NC state's going to be really good next year. A reunion with old friend, Robert and I, and then you look at the Georgia tech and Virginia tech games at home, two teams that beat you on the road this year. The game against the Hokies being a lot more ugly than that against the Yellow Jackets, but how does the dome environment flip things in that in those games? Right, it's interesting. Right, what'll what'll happen? And it's an interesting, you know, home versus road slate. Like you get these two teams in Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech at home this year instead of on the road, but that means you have to play at Pitt and at BC. And Syracuse hasn't won in Pittsburgh in in twenty plus years. Um, they've had more uh, success at a lot. Uh, I was not born the last time SU won in Pitt. Right. Have had a lot more success at Alumni Stadium in Chestnut Hill than other places on the road. But, like, I like I, I have a really hard time saying, oh, sure, oh, this team could win eight games. This team could win nine games without knowing how this coaching staff coaches in-game. So, it's a lot remains to be seen. But is the opportunity there? Yes. You talked about BC and Pitt. Boston College of Programs starting to find itself with Thomas Castellanos at quarterback. Eagles have their QB of the future. And Pitt, even though the entire locker room might hate Pat Narduzzi's guts right now, you still haven't beaten the Panthers in Western Pennsylvania since 2001. Right. So I don't, I think, I think we're in a consensus here is that this schedule is an opportunity for the taking, but it's no, we're not in a position right now to declare that SU is going to go on an absolute surge because we just haven't seen what this coaching staff does on the field. Yeah, we uh only time will tell here to uh the, to use the old cliche over yeah. what's uh what's gonna happen. Well, uh, opening kickoff for the twenty twenty four season only seven months and twenty two days away when SU hosts Ohio inside the dome on Saturday, August thirty first. We will end today with a recruiting update on the hardwood. Number five, recruiting for SU starting to pick up, especially with the class of twenty twenty five. The SU coaching staff was watching Derek Dixon from Gonzaga, D.C. Classic High School in the nation's capital over the weekend. Uh, played in a game against Montverde with Cooper Flag. Dixon, a guy also being looked at. Schools like Iowa, Maryland, Miami, Providence, and Virginia. That among them, and the Neil Adler, the great writer for Inside the Loud House, talked about guys like Kai and Anthony, Nigel James, Matt Gilhul, London Jemison, and Sadiq White Jr., among players SU is looking at, Ethan. 
Yeah, the name that sticks out to me is actually not one you mentioned yesterday. It's Tyler Jackson, the 27th overall player in the class who plays for Overtime Elite right now. Here are a couple teams he has offers from. Alabama, Illinois, LSU, Maryland, Rutgers, Seton Hall, Virginia Tech. Like, those are those are a lot of good schools right there. Um, you know, Illinois stands out as, what, a top-10 team, just barely lost to Purdue last weekend. Um, you know, it seems like 2024 – Adrian Autry and his staff are sticking with these two guys, Elijah Moore and Donnie Freeman. And because, you know, you have a lot of young guys on this team and some will probably move on wherever draft portal, whatever. Um, but you don't want to overload with the high school ranks and then you'll probably supplement whatever you need on the roster via the portal based on who leaves. So we'll see what happens, but you don't want to overload. It seems as though they're really trying to go all in on a lot of guys from this 25 class, because at that point you'll have, what the 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 vaunted 2022 class which had six freshmen in it all of them will be seniors so then if you bring in a lot of freshmen that year they can learn from those seniors and then by the time they're sophomores you know be ready to take over the reins of that roster mm-hmm. there i mean there are a lot of interesting guys that that Syracuse um is going after and you mentioned a lot of them if Kai and Anthony came i mean people would 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 lose their minds that would that would be terrific um, you know, he's got not the same size as his father, Carmelo, but he still is six five and a, and a good shooter. Um, you know, London Jameson visited for the Pittsburgh game. He's a lower rate recruit. He's only a three star, hundred twenty fourth overall, but you know, a wing forward, six eight, one eighty five. Um, we'll see what happens when more guys start to take visits. Tyler Jackson will be here for the NC State game on January twenty seventh. Um, and as we get more reports about players taking visits, usually the time when these guys commit is towards the summer, like May, June, July range. Um, so we'll see what happens after these visits and if Syracuse is able to to land a couple of players. So remember, Elijah Moore committed last January and Donnie Freeman committed last May. Yep. So, you know, as you get, you know, through these this visit period, because players want to come for these, you know, big Saturday home games or or even week weekday home games, but mostly Saturday home games. And Syracuse has three of those, or no, four of those this year: two in January with Miami and NC State, and then two in February with Clemson and Notre Dame. That's huge recruiting opportunity. If I remember correctly, last year they had an atrocious uh, home schedule; only got what one or two Saturday home games, and one of them was over winter break. Um, it was it was really they, bad. I believe they only had two when we got back. Uh, it was right. the Duke game and then Wake Forest, which was more about the 03 team and the 20th year anniversary because I remember Marcus Adams was originally supposed to visit for that finale against Wake Forest, wound up canceling and going to UCLA, Arizona instead, which wound up being a preview of the Pac-12 championship game. But you mentioned it, Ethan, the Saturday home slate this year really is loaded. Miami, a team that went to the Final Four last year, that's a big matchup. Then you've got NC State the very next weekend. That's the Blizzard game where the Otto's Army wears all white and goes absolutely berserk every time out. That I would I would actually argue it's more – I'd say it's more important that it's the Dave Bing game, Dave Bing getting that, in. That is also the Dave Bing game, too. Then you've got Clemson on February 10th, the day before the Super Bowl, the return of Joe Girard. And then you've got Coach Jim Beheim Day on February 24th when Syracuse takes on Notre Dame. So – it's a very good Saturday home sleep this year. And even still, you've got matchup, you've got a matchup with North Carolina on February 13th as well, which is a Tuesday game that should still draw a pretty big crowd. So yeah. a lot of opportunities for the taking among this coaching and recruiting staff to determine, hey, 
this is what the dome environment is like. We want you to come play here. Right. And I would imagine that the focus of, of this 25 recruiting class will be wing guard player focused because I I think center is going to become a position that Syracuse really focuses a lot more effort on the transfer portal on than on high school recruiting. And they'll try to develop guys. But I would imagine that if you want to find a center, you're going to pluck them out of the portal and that the guys you want to develop are your guards and your wings. Because if you think about this, the, the, the guys that will be seniors in 2020, the 24-25 season, or no, the 25-26 season, which would be the time these guys are freshmen. Like, think about all the guys, that guards and wings that will be seniors. Starling, Westry. All right, Westry might have an extra year because of injured medical retro, but Copeland, Taylor, Bell, Brown. Assuming like, they're all still here. Assuming right, assuming they're all still there. They'd all be seniors at that point and would be out of eligibility after that because none of them took a red shirt Knock none on them, wood. None of them are going to get a COVID year. Right. Knock on wood. Nobody's taking a medical red shirt. Um, nobody has a COVID year. So you're going to be need to supplement the roster more with younger players. You'll have more and you'll have Freeman, but you need to start bringing in more and more, you know, guards and wings. And then I think, you know, the portal fills your holes and that's especially true at center. Yeah. And you look at some of the players that we've talked about today, Derek Dixon, six three one ninety. 190, Nigel James, six feet, 165. Matt Gilhul, a little bigger, 6'10", 205. And you mentioned Jameson, 6'8", 185. Sadiq White Jr., a consensus four-star, top 35 recruit, 6'7", 180. So you bring up an interesting point in that SU is not really going big man focused. That's something it hasn't really done at all over the last few years, really since Mr. Rakeem Christmas. When you look at a guy like Donnie Freeman, who's more of a stretch forward as opposed to a five, Malik Brown, certainly more of a power forward than a center. And Naheem McLeod, in by the transfer portal, as was Munir Hima. Right, and one more thing for me. Look at this breakdown on 24-7 by where these guys are from, All everyone they've offered, or all their, their prospects here. Every single one in the Eastern time zone except one player from California. Everyone else, guys from New York, Indiana, Ohio, Connecticut, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Maryland, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Vermont, West Virginia, all the Eastern time zone. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. It's an Eastern Eastern time zone recruiting focus for Syracuse, whether it be the DMB and NYC, two areas in particular, among others. Ethan, any last words? Yeah, it's a really busy week, really exciting week. I'm excited to watch a lot of basketball uh, in person. I'll be at the Dean Dome on Saturday, which I'm really excited about. That's uh, I was lucky enough a while back to go with my dad to Cameron Indoor to see Syracuse play Duke uh, one year. So the Dean Dome was the next college basketball arena I wanted to check off my bucket list. So I'll have both uh, uh, Tobacco Road sites checked off. So that means what? Historic arenas left. Got to get to Allen Fieldhouse uh, in Lawrence, uh, Assembly Hall in Bloomington. Um, any any other historic arenas I'm, I'm forgetting? Those are the first two that come to mind. When we're old and we've had our fun, maybe you and I can take a trip to those arenas together. Yes. With Ethan Frank, I'm Liam Griffin. This has been Fizz 5. For all of our content, check out theorangefizz.net and at orangefizz on Twitter. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And as always, go on. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.